Hi, welcome to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. For months, we take time to prepare and educate ourselves on this new adventure of motherhood. But as we all know, once the baby is born, we're still left with so many questions and need all the help we can get. Women really should have a sense of empowerment as they begin to experience these life-changing moments. And no one mother has it all figured out. However, the more informed we are, the better decisions we can make that will positively affect us and our family. And that's what this podcast is about. Sharing honest, raw, and real conversations about motherhood, life, and all of the crazy, messy, beautiful in-betweens to hopefully educate, empower, and support the next mother on her motherhood journey. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. I am on with a very special guest, Mrs. Melissa Mayer, who is the author of Recovering My True Self. In her book, she describes her experience donating her kidney to her husband and the associated transformational journey. Melissa is also a holistic physical therapist in Hampton Bays, New York. She received a doctorate in physical therapy in 2006 from the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey and worked for many years as a physical therapist in New York City. Melissa has spent the majority of her life faithfully searching, contemplating, studying, and traveling. Along the way, allowing in love, self-awareness, and adventure, which have led to growth, expansion, and freedom. Melissa is eternally grateful for all the miracles in her life and so excited to have the opportunity to share her journey with others and to be a conduit to healing. She spends her days treating patients, writing, meditating, doing yoga, walking on the beach, and with her two daughters and husband. Her mission is to extend love and healing in any way she can, whether it be through her healing work, her book, a compassionate ear, a prayer, and a smile. Melissa, welcome. I know this has been a long time in the making. How are you today? I'm doing great, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Before we dive into the meats and potatoes that I like to say of it all, let's do my icebreaker round. So what is your favorite book? Well, I love books. So the it's always hard to pick one. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is The Alchemist. I have a spiral tattooed on the back of my shoulder that was inspired by that book. So I guess that's number one, but I have to keep a close second and third being Simplicity Parenting by Kim Jong-Pain and A Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. They all sound amazing. I love when I get book recommendations. I feel like, I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to read like all these books because books are just, uh, it's just, I think a lifelong dream to be stuck somewhere and just read books. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) What is your superpower? Well, I've realized in this stage of my life, something that I used to think was my weakness, which now I would call my power is I'm being a highly sensitive person. So when I was younger, I used to kind of hate when people said, oh, you're so sensitive, like it was really a trigger. But now I realize my healing work, my ability to connect with others, be a mother, be in relationships, you know, being a highly sensitive person is my superpower in in making those things kind of deeper and more meaningful. And it's interesting because I'm sensitive. Explain a little bit. I know this is an icebreaker around, but because I know we have a lot to talk about because I am sensitive and I feel like my son is. Tell me a little bit of when you hear sensitive, what that means. And then maybe we can talk a little bit too of like how you can parent through that or how you can work through that in being a sensitive person. Yeah. So two books I highly recommend. There's a book called The Highly Sensitive Person and even The Highly Sensitive Child. And also another one by Judith Orliff. She talks about being a highly sensitive person person. Just, you know, also another word is an empath, you know, just people whose nervous system just kind of takes on a little bit more than, than the rest of us. I mean, 
I guess you can argue anybody really is, but you know, it's maybe manifests a little deeper in some, but just you feel the energy of others really deeply sensitivity to change. You know, I always kind of talk about like the assault on our nervous system in this day and age, just being so bombarded with media and negativity and just intensity and just kind of being like really sensitive to that and needing quiet needing stillness to recharge, especially after being in around big groups of people, intensity, like energy situations, just like really needing to ground. I'm an avid meditator. And a lot of those books like really describe wonderful tools and ways to, to ground. And once you identify it, then there's kind of ways that you can kind of work with it. And I definitely was one as a child and I didn't realize that. And it was really challenging and realized that I used food and alcohol to numb all that I would always be feeling. And then later in life, once I kind of had my, once I had my spiritual transformation after donating my kidney, which we'll talk about in the book, I really honed in on this has been something that's been going on a long time and here's how I've been compensating. But now I'm ready to just be what I am. And thank God. (laughs) I love that. And thank you. Thank you for kind of pivoting there because listing the books, the resources I would help because I think now we know better on a lot of these things. Research has shown. So I think for parents, you know, the more education you could bring like, oh, that sounds like my child. How can I work through that with them? Right. So that we're not 30, 40 years. They're still trying to figure it out as an adult. Right. We're all trying to heal our childhood, our generational trauma and all of those things. Okay. What is your favorite mom hack or business hack to keep you organized and on your toes? Walking and meditating. So meditating because all the things that go on in my head all day, it's just like that kind of gets me still and says, okay, first things first, here you go. And same thing with walking when I'm juggling to-do lists or I need to make a phone call, I'll just take a walk. And then it just kind of clears me of like, this is what I need to do. Here's what I need to do. Even walk into the store, accomplishing an errand on a walk or catching up with a friend and also feeling the benefits of exercise. So I'd say those are, those are my two really deep tools that help. <laughs> I love it. What are the values that guide you and your family? So connection and time together, especially in nature. We live by the beach, which we love. My husband, children, and I, we, we like swimming in the in the ocean or the bay, clamming, fishing, kayaking. So just that time together, especially in nature, which really grounds us and communication and of course, love. <laughs> love it. And lastly, what has motherhood taught you? Whew. A lot. I definitely got the opportunity to kind of like reparent myself as I was parenting my children. I'd say one of the biggest things, and I talked about a lot in my book, was how we're all born with creativity. Being a physical therapist and more of a science-minded person, I uh, categorized myself for so long and not being like, I'm not a, a writer or an artistic creative person. You know, I'm more of a, you know, people say we're left or right brain, but then watching my children be born with this amazing sense of wonder and creativity and realizing, no, that I was born with that too. I just buried it. I developed, you know, restrictive beliefs about myself and I reconnected it when I was with my children, got, you know, the courage to paint a picture or sing a song. And then all of a sudden realized, and, you know, always wanting, always writing my whole life and realizing, oh, I'm a writer. I just never allowed myself to think that I'd be creative enough to be a writer. So writing my book was transformative and therapeutic in terms of being like, I am creative. We're all creative, whether or not we have a, you know, profession in the arts, we we all have creativity. And I learned that through watching my children. 
That's so powerful. And it's crazy because you just made me have an epiphany about myself because I love these conversations. You are my 96th conversation. I'm approaching 100 episodes. I have a game plan to take this further. Long story short, I was like, where did this come from? Like, whatever. And then now that you're saying, I'm like, it's so true. I think since I'm young, my mother said she could just remember me playing school or talking and always was the one where I would be engaging in these conversations from a very young age where kids gravitated towards me and we were having these conversations, always the ear. And I loved always getting deep with people. And I've always been vulnerable. I've always been the empath to really connect with people on deep levels. So now that you're saying, I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. Why now? I mean, I'm not a journalist. I'm not, I didn't go to school to interview people, but it's become something that I realize I'm very good at and something I enjoy doing. And to your point, if I go back to childhood, kind of was always there. So yeah, thank you for sharing that because it's so true. And to parents out there, it's like, yes, let your kids be creative, let them gravitate towards what they gravitate towards. And I think it's a beautiful thing to watch in our children. Now let's dive into it. So is there anything else you want to discuss about family life, careers, maybe, you know, kind of what your journey was, if you want to jump right into it, into holistic physical therapy. But first, let's also mention like the ages of your children. Let's go there and then we'll, we'll jump into the journey. So my two daughters are now eight and 10. And I was living in New York City after I married my husband and always thought I wanted to have children, but also loved being, you know, a New York professional woman, practicing physical therapist, and, you know, maybe thought it was cliche to have kids or whatever. And then I did have children and I mean, I guess as you know, this podcast creates such a wonderful space for is, you know, attesting to how transformational becoming a mother is. I mean, it just, I fell in love with my children as, as we all do once we give birth and, um, it really changed the person I thought I was and just going forward. I mean, I, I took time off, which I, I never thought I would take time off to be a mom, but I did. And I'm really glad I did and gave myself that opportunity to connect with myself, connect with my children. I mean, literally heal <laughs> from the birth, breastfeed. I mean, you know, like I said, being highly sensitive, it was just so much change. And I'm glad I just was able to like be there to embrace it all. So I did take some time off of work and then started working a little bit part-time and then got pregnant again and then took more time and we moved out of New York City. So, you know, being a professional physical therapist for years in New York, then moving out of the city to, you know, kind of a real out here in the Hamptons where it's much more nature and it, it was wonderful. It was a great place for me to reconnect. And in, in, in that process of reconnection, and having my children starting to go to a Waldorf school and reading books on simplicity parenting, just really um, embracing the pillars of rhythm, you know, not scheduling, like rhythm, like, you know, the in-breath, the out-breath, like eating a meal and walking outside and the creativity piece, which she touched on before. So really embraced that and kind of felt even further disconnected from who I was professionally. But then it was interesting as my children got older it helped me really find my niche of my work now, you know, cause I always liked doing physical therapy and I'm glad I had the professional experience I did, but deep down always loved holistics. I did my yoga teacher training, loved reading books from Eckhart Tolle, Louise Hay, and all the kind of just, you know, holistics that I've always connected with in, in health and wellness. So to just really, it just kind of came full circle. Once I did return to work, I bought that back together in terms of 
you know, evolving my career from being a professional physical therapist to in a traditional manner to the holistic side, which is what I do now. I have a healing space and I work with people one-on-one. We do meditation, we do yoga, we go deeper and I love it. Okay. So now the the big question is what is holistic physical therapy? And I love how you kind of have the traditional aspect behind it. Cause I think in some sense that is needed for certain things, but I love how you kind of bridged the two together. I think I have my own idea of what it is just based on the whole holistic thing, but why don't you discuss what is exactly holistic physical therapy and how does it work over compared to conventional physical therapy? Yeah. Thanks for asking. I've, I've seen wonderful outcomes and Basically, I incorporate holistic therapies such as meditation, yoga, energy therapy and clearing, acupuncture cupping, and the sessions are one-on-one in a quiet space with essential oils diffusing. And it's just, I just kind of create the intention and the space where we can just do deeper healing. I mean, I've worked for years in clinics where people are there for their neck pain and their back pain. And they're just going through the motions. And and so are, you know, the therapists. I mean, physical therapists by trade are ethical, well-trained, wonderful practitioners. But just I think the healthcare system and the limitations of over, you know, the documentation, the insurance, the overscheduling just kind of create the space where, you know, when you're going through the motions, it's so frustrating for everybody. So I feel like, you know, in, in this new in this kind of niche that I've created, it's really great to work with people one-on-one. I mean, I can work on their neck and their back and their hip if I want. You know, we can take, you know, we just have so much freedom and flexibility. And I think people this day and age and how busy they are, and not to mention people have so much knowledge on their own. You know, people like, I've been to physical therapy a hundred times. Like, I know the exercises. Like, I just, I, I just, where can I get redirected and where can, you know, I guide them and in kind of a new direction. So they don't have to come to me necessarily three times a week for six to eight weeks, which is the very standard prescription. So, you know, I'll see people once a week for, you know, two to three sessions, then we'll, you know, they'll do some stuff on their own and then they'll come back to me. And it's just, there's just a lot of freedom and flow. And that's why I think we get really good outcomes. There's just an intention that they come in with like really ready to get better and I mean, that's, that's what so often I think gets people better more than I have this magic wand. You know, I think they come in with the intention and when people intend to get better, they get better. And I would imagine, I know you said that you, you focus on, if you do the back, the neck, but I'm like, you're also challenging the mind. I think there's a certain level. And I mean, and I am not in, you don't have a PhD or anything, but things that I've, I've read articles and how the we are, the mind is everything. It's the most powerful thing in our body that can really make or break a difference, right? You've heard of so many stories of people that have gotten better just based on, you know, like I'm, I'm not gonna think negative or whatever. So what are some of the benefits and misconceptions that people have of holistic physical therapy and what that looks like? Is that something that's fairly new? Because I didn't even know that that was a thing, but now that I know, I'm like, oh, if someone, if I hear someone going through like something like, hey, have you tried this approach, right? To try different things. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I haven't heard too many people describe themselves as holistic physical therapists, but I mean, but holistics itself is incredibly common and been around for hundreds of years. So it's not, you know, like, I mean, I haven't like reinvented the wheel, but just, you know, kind of, I guess, bringing those together. And I guess some misconceptions would be, you know, just because it's, it's quiet, it's meditative, that it's not effective, where... I'd counter it's the complete opposite, you know, like the minute that you kind of 
I think a lot of times people just stepping out of their busy lives and coming here, you know, like they say, like a lot of times, like, you know, you make the phone call to the doctor and like people start to feel better because again, like they have that intention that they're going to get better. And that, that goes so far in terms of the mind. But of course, sometimes, you know, there's some real, real things that people are feeling. I mean, the pain is real and they've been seeing doctors. They've been, it's, I mean, it's, it's very complicated navigating our healthcare system. They're like, I've seen this person. They have misconceptions of themselves that they're, they're a mess. They're like, I'm falling apart here. And I'm like, you're not falling apart. You're trying to take care of your health. And I think I can just like ground people with just all the expertise that I have throughout the years, working in hospitals, working in outpatient clinics and home care. So working with just so many different medical conditions and diagnoses, I can just kind of, you know, and put it together. And then I can do body work and massage and but also doing therapeutic exercises to help strengthen, stretch, and restore. And then always ending at the end with a guided meditation to just, I call it the time where we reset the computer, where we just kind of integrate everything, shut it down, and allow the body to return to its, you know, its natural state of equanimity. I mean, our bodies will heal themselves, but we have to be partners in facilitating that. And I'd say another misconception is sometimes holistic practitioners get a bad rap of people are like, you know, they don't believe in medicine. And that's not true at all. I mean, I'm like, listen, you have to start where you need to start. And the doctor is a really good place to start. So if people have diagnoses, medical conditions, medications, you know, I work with all of that. I'm not someone like who, who thinks, oh, you can just help heal yourself by getting off all of your medications and just pretending your conditions don't exist. So I definitely bring a pragmatism to, to the work. And, and I think it's a real disservice when holistic practitioners kind of almost, you know, put blame on people that, you know, they're doing something wrong by listening to their doctors. It's like, that's, you have to start <laughs> there. I, I love someone like of your background because you have a, a doctorate. You went to school for physical therapy. So I love when someone like yourself comes on or speaks to this because you're like, look, I've been there. I've done that. And I also know that this works, right? I think that shows the expertise and how you are an expert in that because you could easily be like, yeah, I know the holistic part works, but that's probably going to be harder for me to get clients. Let me go the easier route because everyone knows that physical therapy is physical therapy. You went to school for it. You have all the credentials for it. But you, even as a practitioner that has credentials in that space, are like, but wait, there's another way. And I think that's the beauty of where I see things are going that, yeah, for the for the practical people like myself, like yourself, that we know doctors are definitely needed, you know, and all of these things, but that there are other ways. And yeah, you might have went to the doctor, look, look, I've tried it. I'm still not getting better. Let me see if there's another another approach or another thing. And I think that's the beauty. That's the beauty of choice. And I think that's the beauty of someone like yourself who can show that there is another way without completely eliminating or saying no, not to do this. And I wish more people understood that, that we're just trying to show that there's a, an alternative way. Right. And that there's both. I mean, I always said I wanted to bridge East and West and I wanted to go to physical therapy school first. I wanted to learn the rules so I knew how to break them, you know, because you have to be careful in terms of red flags and screening properly. And <clears throat> my husband's a physician. I mean, he had a kidney transplant. I donated my kidney to him. I mean, you know, there are geniuses in the traditional med medical model. And, you know, after the pandemic, we know, I mean, our valued, you know, healthcare workers, I mean, are doing great things. So I, I don't like to throw them under the bus, but, you know, I don't like to throw holistic therapies under the bus either in terms of, you know, saying that they're not legitimate. You know, there's legitimacy in both, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
completely agree. So now let's go into the process of writing your book, Recovering My True Self. What was the purpose, you know, the kind of top few takeaways from the book, if you can say, I know, I believe you said you wrote it based on giving your kidney to your husband, correct? Like that kind of was like the starting point. So why don't you talk about that? You know, and then what are kind of some takeaways if someone read the book that they would be like, oh, wow, this is what I got from it. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the purpose, I mean, it was really, it was a really, it was a very therapeutic process to tell my story from, you know, like soup to nuts. I mean, just starting out with growing up in suburban New Jersey and again, being a highly sensitive person, I came from a very loving family, but I also kind of felt lots of disconnect from myself. And then, you know, when I started in high school and all of a sudden alcohol came into my life was like, oh, wow, you know, like what a wonderful tool to help an introverted, highly sensitive person. (laughs) And then went to college, then traveled to California, which I write in the first chapter called Stepping Outside My Comfort Zone was, you know, a huge step for me to just, you know, growing up in suburban New Jersey and just saying, you know, I want to, I want to step outside what I know. And that process was, was really powerful and then even led to me finding out that I want to be a physical therapist and going to physical therapy school and then moving to New York City. And my husband, who was in my life at a very early age and is, I mean, just the person who's taught me the most about unconditional love, just supported me always. But, you know, being together so young also Um, wondering if we were right for each other because I was like, I can't, this can't be the one, you know, I found him too young. Like it can't be that easy. (laughs) As it turns out, it can be, you know, love can be that easy. It doesn't have to be complicated. I complicated it. But when we were married and I was pregnant with my first daughter, we were sitting at the midwife waiting to hear the heartbeat of my child. And my husband, who was a medical resident at the time, had come from seeing his kidney doctor, which he had seen since he was a kid. He always had protein in his urine and was followed closely by these doctors, said, you're going to need a kidney transplant. So, And we had known that this might have been a possibility at some point in his life, but it was kind of a shocking moment to be like, oh, okay, we're having a baby and you need a kidney transplant. So... I said, well, what do we do? And he said, We'd have, we have to find a donor. So thankfully, a bunch of family and friends got tested. And I ended up being a match, and I wanted to be the donor. But I was also pregnant and said, what is that going to look like? And the doctor, the nephrologist at Columbia University, we, I mean, we have the most incredible doctors. We're so blessed, said, now that you have a match, that you have a living, willing donor in your house, we can kind of put it back on hold again in terms of like, wait till your blood levels are at the absolute, like he was at a critical level, but they're like, well, literally wait till it's at the most critical level. So, you know, you're not getting surgery unnecessarily. And we don't know how long that's going to be. It could be six months, it could be a year, but miraculously it was seven years. So from that point, we were able to wait seven years. I was able to have my first daughter, able to have my second daughter. We moved out of New York City. So in 2018, August 2018, so we're coming up on four years, he had gone to the doctor again and he said, okay, now we're really at that critical time. So it was like, you know, the scramble. And my daughters were four and six, but thankfully they weren't one and three or they weren't newborn, you know, I mean, so it really was a blessing that we had all those years of just being normal parents. You know, he was a full-time physician. I was, you know, talking about parenting, like we were just living our lives and then it was time. I mean, we found out in the spring and then the transplant was that August. So it was like two or three months of 
going in and out of New York City, getting chest x-rays, getting blood work. I had to get a psyche valve, kidney CTs, just they, they really prepare you very well because they want the best possible outcome. They want to make sure that you're ready physically, mentally, financially, in terms of like you have insurance, everything's in place, that the medications are all set up. So we did all that. And then just in terms of inner work, you know, I had been doing inner work for years, but I was like, really, I mean, talk about walking, meditating, getting, doing energy healing sessions with people over the phone. I mean, intuitive readers. I mean, I was clearing a chapter called, you know, clearing out my closet, literally, because it was, you know, this, this process of really clearing me out. And then I'd say, and then we decided to stay in New York City for the surgery for a month because it was going to be having to go to follow up twice a week to get his blood levels checked with the immunosuppressive drugs. So we're in New York City. It was the day before the surgery. I was taking a walk and I said, God, you know, if that if that's who you are, I would never have considered myself a religious person, but a spiritual person. I said, you know, I, I need a miracle here. And someone had given me a course in miracles. I started reading it and I felt like they put me under for the surgery. And when I woke up, I just felt this divine inspiration that was like, miracle granted, you're going to be okay. Your husband's going to be okay. The, your children, your life, you know, you, you've set this up and, and it was a miracle. I mean, I felt like we, we truly experienced a miracle. They took the kidney out of me. They put it in my husband. He recovered. He went back to work in three months. He's doing better than ever. I feel like I'm doing better than ever. I wrote a book about it because I just had to tell this story, soup to nuts, that wake up. I just was like, I, you know, I just kind of felt like I was this vessel. There's just all this. And, and, and I started, I stopped drinking after the surgery too, because I just felt like, you know, I was recovering from surgery and my husband wasn't allowed to drink for three months. And I said, you know, I'll, I'll do this with you. And I noticed in that three months, my writing I mean, things were just coming out and being a highly sensitive person, I was like using it for the right ways, you know, like I wasn't numbing it, it I was allowing it and it was uplifting, it was miraculous. And, you know, a couple of years later, the last May now we're coming up on a year, my book came out called Recovering My True Self, that this process, which I thought was an obstacle, became an opportunity. I love it. That's such a beautiful story. I'm like sitting here thinking, I'm like, goodness gracious, how, what, you know, how do I dive in? Cause that's, that's a lot to tap there, but it's, you know, and I always find it fascinating. And I say this, cause I'm like, you know, a guest can come on and share something, let's say like that, that's transformational. And it sounds like it was like one, two, three, and you're like, yeah, we did this, this. And I'm like, wait, hold up, stop, time out. <laughs> right. I guess what I will say, and you know, God bless you guys. And I, I love how you say you kind of really needed to kind of tap in and go there with the faith aspect of it and really kind of have that connection and I love I and now understand why the title of your book is recovering you know my true self and you know taking into like your story of how it began and then here comes this pivotal time in your life right and then how many great things came from that of this selfless act of like wait I'm a match then absolutely let me do this for my partner for the future of our family and yeah man I always say look at the silver linings I think the silver lining there I think someone could, have, could look at that and be like, well, your kids were still so young, but the silver lining, like, yeah, but at least they weren't one or three or they weren't newborns, right? Like looking at those small silver linings that people tend to like, oh, I know, but they're still, yeah, yeah, but let's really be thankful that it's not this, right? Let's really be thankful that it's not that, that it wasn't so critical that you had to do it while you were pregnant or whatever that would have looked like. Or what if you couldn't, then you would have had to, like so many things, could have, should have, would have. So 
thank God it worked out. And, you know, that's, that's an amazing story. Ladies, are you tired of feeling overworked and under-recognized for your impact at work? And are you curious about how to do the inner work to own your worth so you can feel confident making the bold asks, negotiating for more, and creating your ideal career? Ashi Pere, a previous guest, is a successful leadership and negotiation coach who is offering you the special opportunity to experience the power of private coaching with her. She will give you the tools necessary to grow your career in your own terms by being authentic in tough conversations, building bridges through negotiation, and trusting that no is not the end. Head over to www.ownyourworth.com to book an exclusive 30-minute private consultation. So if someone were to read the book, what would be three takeaways that you hope that they would take from it? Or maybe it's just the biggest thing that you hope someone reading this book is like, okay, this, and that would make you happy that after they read this book, this is what they took with them. Great question. So to tell your story, because I mean, I, I felt like I had experienced so much healing in telling my story when I was writing the book and talking about people about the book, I was thinking about, you know, should I write this laundry list of here's how you can transform your life? And then I thought to myself, no, people like I've, I've, when I hear people's stories, you know, like the parts that resonate with me are the parts that need to resonate with me versus someone saying, Hey, you know what you should do? (laughs) You know, like, what do you know what others, someone should do? So just to, to tell your story, because there, there is so much in that process that will help people. And also to step outside your comfort zone. I think that's really, I talk about, you know, that was the first chapter in the book and how stepping outside, you know, getting those butterflies in your stomach. I mean, they they tell you something, they tell you you're onto something. And also to develop your inner world, because um, I think we all make the mistake of looking to the outer world for answers. You know, we look to the chaos and the suffering around us and we're just like, what does this mean? And, you know, and what, what, I mean, where can we go with this? And it's like, that's not where we should be looking, you know, to, to, to go within and develop our inner world. So our roots are strong. And when that wind blows, it doesn't knock us over because we have roots, you know, we know who we are and our children see that, you know, they, they look at us and we, you know, we model so much of, I think, amazing parenting is really modeling, you know, being a grounded force in your home versus a chaotic force in your home and your children really getting so much benefit from that without even saying a word. So yeah, I would say just, you know, to develop your inner world and, and whatever that looks like, you know, we all know, we should be eating well. We all know we should be exercising. We, we all know these things, but it's like when you listen to your inner voice, that's why I would say that, you know, the best tip is meditation, even mindfulness or, or two minutes if, if meditation sounds too intimidating. But when you tap in, that's when you realize, you know what? Someone told me about a farm share that I can sign up for that I'm going to try and eat better. Or, you know what? I do have a little time, you know, after at my lunch break at work to take a walk you know, or, you know what, I'm going to start taking a walk with the stroller, you know, every day after school. But like those moments of clarity come from when we stop and we kind of tune within. So just developing that inner world, and then you'll start to see the transformation on the outer world. I love that. And you talked about parenting. So how was it parenting before this and parenting after? And is that when you really started developing the simplicity parenting and kind of, you know, steamrolling that with your children? Like talk a little bit, like how did that change in that aspect? Yeah, I'd say I, I was really grateful early on to discover Waldorf Education and Simplicity Parenting, the, the movement by Kim Jong-Pain. 
And that really grounded me as a parent throughout before, during, and after. I mean, the, the four pillars of simplicity parenting are, you know, creating rhythm within your home, the adult world, fit, filtering out the adult world. So creating less clutter in your home, being very conscious with screen time, you know, just like these pillars that really, that really guide the, the small child. And even, I mean, I find it still helpful now with my eight and 10 year old. And I even think it'll be helpful as they're kind of coming into the tweens and teens. So I'd say that that was a guiding force and why I'm really glad I did take time off of work to really embrace those because then when the stronger wind came with the, with the transplant, like I had a lot of tools in place and I mean, my children, thank God. I mean, they were very, very minorly affected by the transplant. I mean, when we went back to school that September, and people were like, how was your summer? And, and I'm like thinking in my head, how am I going to tell people <laughs> what happened this summer? The kids are like, oh, we, we went to New York City on vacation for a month. You know, I mean, like they knew what was going on, but they just, um, you know, I showed them the scars. They saw what was happening, but they didn't really have any basis to, to really understand that it could be potentially life-threatening, what immunosuppression is, you know, I mean, they just were like, oh, they're taking the kidney out of you and putting it in dad. Okay. And daddy's okay. You know, that's very concrete, right? Very. Right. And we're going to live in New York city for a month to be by the hospital. Okay. And I'm like, and there's a playground in the corner, like, yay. And like, we'll bring the scooters because I'll probably only be able to walk to the corner playground. And they're like, that's great. You know, I mean, you know, that's, that's the thing with, with children. I mean, they're so resilient and, you know, they, they were really great. And, and it, it's just been, it, it's been amazing. I'm, I'm so grateful that, you know, that I had, that I had gained those tools from the Simplicity Parenting Movement and from Kim Jong-Kane. That's awesome. And that's also a nugget of how I love how I'm a very spiritual person. So I love, and I always, you know, in hindsight, like, gosh, was that the universe or God putting something in my life, whispering to me, like, read this. You follow through with it and then seeing how years later that helped you. I love hearing things like that. I know it's, it's happened many times in my life when I sit back and look and I'm like, oh, maybe that's why years ago that maybe I didn't realize or recognize why I had to have that conversation or read that article yeah. or be introduced to that person. And then you see it later on. So that's amazing that that kind of connected that way. Right. <laughs> Meaningful coincidences. Yeah. Yes, because it is. And I think when you listen to those whispers, I think we all hear it. It's being quiet enough to really be in tune and to listen to those whispers because I think they do mean something. They are all trying to tell us something. So that's awesome that you recognized it and it worked. You're the second person to mention the Waldorf school and the whole simplicity parenting. And now that you're speaking it in this way, I'm like, gosh, I wonder if that's something that my husband and I should look into as well. So thank you for kind of stepping a little bit deeper. And again, having these kind of conversations puts out there of you don't know what you don't know and that there's always another way to look at things. So thank you for that. So before we start winding down here, how do you, with everything that you have going on, how do you hope to impact your community? What is your message if someone can take from this all? So to lead by example, you know, again, to kind of like start with me and doing, you know, the inner work that I need to do, staying, you know, true to who I am, to my message, you know, remembering who I am, that, you know, I'm a child of the universe. I'm here to extend the love of the universe to others in whatever I do, whether it's, you know, a session with a patient or as a mom, as a friend, or as a stranger, you know, smiling to someone on the street to just, to just, to hear people, to listen to people and to just, 
you know, to serve. And a lot of times the universe just gives us those opportunities of like, when you're like, how do I serve today? And then you get that phone call and that email and you're like, here's how I'm going to do it today. Like, here's how I can serve. So, you know, so I basically have just, you know, just kind of flowing with the, the, the direction that the universe guides me to serve is, is the direction that uh, that's how I hope to yeah. impact. Love it. Okay. So why don't we get into some of my favorite questions too, when I wrap it up here is how do you make time for your own self-care? I know you said you did like to walk and get meditative, but there aren't any other aspects that you like to do to really focus on making sure that Melissa is good. What do you like to do to un- relax and unwind for the day? That's a big one. I, you know, come across a lot of um, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, and they're like, yeah, that's a tough one for me. It's like they have their morning routines and then it's like the unwinding. They're like, yeah. Yeah. The evenings are tough. I mean, I like wake up, I feel like I meditate, I walk and I feel like on fire. And then usually later in the day, I think I, I'm very sensitive. I'm very sensitive to my um, fatigue. So when I start to crash, I mean, I go to bed early. I take baths. I mean, like that's, I mean, I live by the ocean in the bay. So when I can jump in the water, you know, I jump in the bay or the ocean, but in the winter time, or if it's late in the day, I mean, just taking a bath, I find like, you know, just like stepping into that water. I just feel like, ah, just like the whole day release out of me. But if that is what works for you, that's what works for you. I think you have to find that. And one of the conversations, gosh, I don't remember who it was, but that's what we were speaking to. I was like, I think because we are bombarded with a lot of information and maybe even with social media, because we see these like glamorous things and hear all these sexy words of like self-care and all of this, but truthfully, it is what makes you happy. Because I've even said, I do enjoy working. I enjoy doing this. This is part of my work. It's not what I do for a living yet, hoping one day, putting it out to the universe. But it is something I enjoy doing. So I said, if that's something you enjoy doing or it uplifts me, how can you tell me that that isn't? If it's uplifting me that after I have a conversation with someone, this, even if it's the end of the day, you know what I'm saying? Because your idea of a unwinding is that, I don't know, I'm just, you know, I'm sipping tea and I'm this and I'm getting off the computer. But what if having a conversation at eight o'clock at night with someone, even when I am tired, uplifts me so that when I'm done, I'm like, oh, I just released. I had a great conversation. Now I'm So I say all that to say is that I'm like, I think it's what makes you happy in whatever that regard is. But I think we do get overwhelmed with thinking it has to look a certain way, which goes to recovering my true self of really tapping into what it is that makes Nicole feel good, what it is that makes Melissa feel good, and then going from there, right? Exactly. Because I think, you know, I mean, sometimes they say like, you know, it's it's all about who you know, but I always say, I think it's rather, and maybe, you know, that may be some for true, but I think it's how well you know yourself. Because when you know yourself, you know, you can determine how you can be fulfilled and what, you know, I, what people, you know, say that how that fills their bucket so when, you know, you know yourself and you know how to fill your bucket and you know what, you know that having an, an uplifting conversation at eight o'clock at night will energize you, then you know to do that. For sure. And then how do you make time? Do you schedule things? Do you let your husband know? How is that communicated to you and, you know, your husband? We have a shared calendar, so that's very big. My husband knows that this is what I have going on, telling my son, being very purposeful with the boundaries of that. How do you do that, especially now that your kids are, oh, you have double digits, you know, your 10-year-old, you have eight. How does that work? Life has been getting busy. I mean, it's just softball games and my daughter's first dance tonight and my, you know, my husband's work schedule at the hospital and patients and podcasts. So I think it's just organization, communication. I mean, I do like to schedule things. I mean, especially I almost feel that that creates a bit of a boundary 
you know, and people were like, oh, I'd love to get together. I'm like, okay, great. Me too. Give me a time and date, you know, and, and I'll write it down. I mean, I use an old school calendar, but, you know, I'll also I keep notes in my phone. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do like having control of my own calendar. I've noticed with the calendar, sometimes I'm just like, I like to have a very tight control of my calendar because I like to know what I like to do. So, yeah, I mean, we, I feel like moms, but moms, we know how to juggle. We know how to, I mean, we have to stay organized. And yeah, just communicating, you know, the best we can in this day and age. It's complicated. I'm not going to lie. And I was just going to say, I'm like, it is. And I think um, what's helped me, because I'm I'm still learning to balance it all with being a solopreneur and certain things. And I've changed my my routine several times because it was working. Then, you know, you have to kind of pivot and figure out. But I try to think because I'm very much, yeah, I like to have control of my schedule. I have it on my phone. I have an actual planner. Like I need to see it and I need to see it week by week. And I tell people like if they're like, oh, can we do something? I'm like, look, two weeks out, I'm kind of maxed. So we might have to do this three, four weeks from now because that just truthfully, like I'm about like this week, definitely no, I I need to push you on. Maybe next week I might even be, but for sure we'll probably have something third or four weeks. And that has helped me and just made me feel calmer to know that I've already set that expectation. Like we're probably not going to meet this week because I'm, I'm already tapped with where I can give my energy, right? So that, that's that's kind of helped. But I, I like how you say that. Yeah, I mean, we just got to be organized. And as moms, we push through and got to do what works best for us. I think the best thing is just making sure we don't get burnt out with it all. Well, that's when we drop all the balls, you know, and then sometimes Correct. we even like pick up the pace and just like, let's juggle faster. Because if I don't juggle faster, then I'm going to drop them all. You know, I, I feel like that sometimes in the evening, I'm like, I know I'm getting a, me- like, I'll be getting a message, just go upstairs and, you know, sit down for, for two minutes. And I'm like, no, but the dinner dishes, and I still have a couple of emails and, you know, the kids have homework and, you know, it's like, you don't want to stop. You want to keep pushing. And I heard a, psych- a psychi- psychologist the other day talk about whole brain living. And she's like, you know, we, we, we make the mistake that we think we're computers. I mean, computer computers can just go harder and faster. And it's almost like we can test them. And then we start to like get adrenaline on how much we can do and realize that like we're humans. We have to stop. We have to reset. Sleep is one of the most important pieces of health and wellness because that's when our minds and our bodies do reset and we repair ourselves. So it's, you know, it's, it's challenging. We're like, how many more things can we fit in here? (laughs) But that's so true. It's like, yeah, let's not emulate the computers, but it's true. I think it, it just comes you know, we can get into for me, I think that's one of the scariest things about the technology, you know, it's like as, as great it is, is I've connected with some amazing people, women, like yourself, case in point, I've developed great Instagram connections and conversations and friendships with women that are mm. on the other side of the country. But then you have the other side. And I think again, but it's all like balance, right? It's learning how to balance and compressing when you can. So as we wind up here, please tell my listeners how they may connect with you, where they can find your book, and then we'll have a final thoughts from you to my podcast community. Great. Well, thank you. I love this conversation. And my website is www.melissamayer.org, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-M-A-Y-E-R.org. On there are links to get my book. It's wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I even like to shout out to bookshop.org, which supports local bookshops because I have at local bookshops out here, but bookshop.org allows you to support your local bookshop. And on Facebook, I'm Melissa Anthony Mayer. And on Instagram, I'm Mel May Evolve. But my website really has the most on terms of podcasts I've been on and uh, my blog. And just it's the best place to just see my work and connect with me and best way to connect with me. 
Awesome. And any other final thoughts as we wrap up here to my podcast community that you want to leave them with? So my final thought, I'm going to say a quote by Carl Jung. The privilege of a lifetime is to become who you truly are. So I think, you know, in this day and age when we're all running around and every every so often we stop and we wonder, you know, what, what's this all for? And it's, you know, to become who we truly are. So I wish that, you know, for, for you and, and for everybody else listening. Melissa, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for sharing your story with my listeners and continued blessings to you for love and light. Thank you for joining me this week on the Mama's Know Best We Got Something to Say podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, NGC Consulting, where you can find them at NicoleGConsulting.com. For more motherhood resources, check out TheMotherhoodVillage.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss an episode. And if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or recommendation to a friend works too. And join us next time for an another amazing conversation. Continued blessings to you all for love and light.